morning, ladies and gents. I'm so excited for the guest this week, Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Absolutely brilliant. If you followed me for a while, I share a ton of her work um, through her memes and her writing, uh, most notably on Instagram. But Dr. Solomon is a huge name uh, in the areas of sexual intimacy, relational self-awareness, in just building and maintaining better relationships. I just love... um, how this woman speaks. She is so to the point. Uh, she's a person that sort of sees things from all angles. You know, she, she doesn't like, she's very good at uncovering the blind spots. Um, even within being a clinical psychologist, which I really appreciate because as human beings, we always have internal biases, right? And it's, I think the, the people that can really speak with a lot of wisdom usually have navigated their own biases to a point where they can listen so well in situations before they make a judgment or before they make a recommendation. Dr. Solomon is the author of two books. The most recent one is titled Loving Bravely, 20 Lessons of Self-Discovery to Help You Get the Love You Want. And her other book is Taking Sexy Back, How to Own Your Sexuality and Create the Relationships You Want. I recommend ordering both of those right now if you're a reader and you're into reading. If not, order the audiobooks. Uh, they are incredible pieces of work. There's so much wisdom and information in there. And if you already listen to this podcast, chances are you're really going to vibe with what she's putting out there. Dr. Solomon's been featured on The Early Show, Oprah Magazine, The Today Show, The Atlantic, New York Times, Vogue, Scientific America, um, Business Insider, so many outlets, NPR, another one. She's been a guest on numerous top podcasts. Um, this woman just has so much to offer people. And she's such a real, authentic human being, you know, even given the notoriety she's gained with the amazing work she's doing. She's just so easy to talk to. And we just sit down and have a heart to heart conversation primarily focused around relational self-awareness, which um, you can watch her TED Talk. I'll throw the link to that in the description. She has a TED Talk on relational self-awareness, and it's a brilliant talk. And we sort of dive um, more deeply into the different components around this talk and the different components around relational self-awareness and why it's so important to practice and build relational self-awareness when we're single and when we're in a relationship with someone we love. Now, Dr. Solomon also just recently launched a podcast of her own, which I'm sure is going to be incredible. The trailer's already out. The first episode drops this month. The name of the podcast is Reimagining Love with Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Definitely go check it out. It's available on Apple and Spotify. Give it a listen, people. I am totally certain that this podcast is going to have amazing content, have amazing guests on. Uh, and I just, you know, I couldn't be more in support of the work this brilliant woman's doing. And it was such a pleasure to share an hour with her, have her on to talk everything relational self-awareness. And I hope you all get a lot out of it. I hope you listen intently. I hope you take notes if that's your thing. Um, and if you are digging this podcast, as always, uh, do me a favor. And leave me a five-star written review on Apple. Share your thoughts. Uh, Subscribe on Apple and Spotify. Share the content on Instagram. So I share a lot of clips from guests, from snippets of episodes, from tidbits of of the podcast. Like share that stuff. Comment on the posts and like the stuff. You know, help out the algorithm. Like help spread this content if it resonates with you. It means a lot to me because it reaches more ears. And it's not just the the thought like I want to grow this which I do but it's not I want to grow this to gain some notoriety but I think that a lot of these conversations can benefit the majority of people if not everyone so if you find value in it share it like comment on the stuff interact with me on social media share it with people that you love that you care about your followers 
Um, whether it's, you know, just copying the link to an episode you think someone you care about can really use and shooting them a text message or sharing it on social media, whatever you guys can do to help spread the word is much appreciated. And as always, I appreciate y'all being here. And without further ado, Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Dr. Solomon, thank you so much for joining me on the show. It's absolutely wonderful to have you. I've been a huge fan of your work for a long time now. And uh, I just realized that you have a podcast launching this month. Is That's correct, right? That's correct. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Reimagining Love Podcast, um, which I'm super excited to tune into. Uh, I didn't realize you were... I was wondering, I was like, why doesn't she have a podcast? You know, so many people are sort of dying for the information. Then boom, here it is. Um you're the author of the book, Loving Bravely, uh, Taking Sexy Back. You have an amazing TEDx talk on relational self-awareness, which sort of I want to focus on that that idea. RSA seems to be like your, one of your main jams among a lot of other things. So I'd love to, to focus on that. Um, and you write a ton of articles for Psychology Today, not to mention your social media uh, absolutely has touched so many people and I consistently sharing work of yours. And then when I read the comments of the posts you share, people just... Uh, I don't know. You provide a, a a sense of authenticity that I think people are really searching for out there. You know, holding ourselves accountable as well as realizing, um, you know, sort of the situations we're in, and, and again, building self awareness. So, thank you so much for joining me, and I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you for. I appreciate you having me on your show. This is actually my first time as a guest on somebody else's podcast since I've been, you know, working on my own podcast. So it's kind of, it's really fun. I've been on so many podcasts, but not ever as I'm like trying on this new identity and this new role as podcaster. So I'm really excited to be in this, in this space with you in a different way than, um, than I have been before. So thanks for the invite. You bet. And, and again, I can't wait to, to listen. I'm sure it's going to be wonderful. Well, let's jump right into it because I know we're, we're strapped for time here. Um, let's, let's start with relational self-awareness. So I feel like so many of the folks that interact with you online are, are consistently sort of looking for answers on why something happened to them in their relationship, right? Like, why did this happen? You know, why did I get my heart broken? Why did this, why was this person unfaithful? And I, I f- often find that to be sort of um, a narrative that's circulating in my own account is it's always like focusing on the other, right? Like what did someone do to me in a relationship? And I really appreciate the, just even the idea of relational self-awareness because it really turns the lens back on us and it forces us to look at what we did to, you know, behave in that dynamic or contribute in that dynamic because ultimately, you know, we can't control anything else around us but ourselves, right? sort of simple to say, really hard to do. I've I've tried to do it in (laughs) multiple aspects of my life, specifically when it comes to love. So can we, can you start off with maybe defining, um, you know, relational self-awareness in your mind Mm -hmm. and maybe talk about what you see in modern sort of love and dating culture where we're lacking in those areas? Yeah. I think it's a great, I think it's a great place to, to put us because, um, as you said, it really is relational self-awareness is really the, the through line of all of my work, whether I'm, you know, posting on Instagram or working on uh, a new article or talking to my husband of 23 mm. plus years. It is relational self-awareness, um, is defined as an ongoing, curious and compassionate relationship that we have with ourselves that becomes a foundation 
of our most important relationships. And I, you know, I spend most of my time talking about the importance of relational self-awareness in intimate partnerships, but certainly it comes up in parenting. You know, when our kid is acting some kind of a way, it's very, very easy to say, what is wrong with my kid that they're acting that kind of way? Mm. And it's much more challenging to say, what is the dance between us? And what is the story that's activated in me when I watch my child act that way, where do I go with it? So, but an intimate partnership, it's exactly what you were, what you were saying. We, we focus on like, why does my, why did my partner do that? Or why mm. did that person, you know, behave in that way? Or why do they cheat on me? And if we're going to start to work on, you know, holding up a mirror and looking at ourselves and our patterns and our beliefs, we have to do it with the utmost of gentleness because this is not about, um, blaming ourselves. It's not about, you know, melting into shame, but it's quite empowering, in fact, to start to see um, the role that we play, how we, you know, the, the research around this is just really, really clear that our, you know, what I call our original love classroom is the family that we grew up in. So when we're little, we are absorbing so many messages. We're watching the grown-ups in our house, you know, whether our whether we had parents who were married to each other or single their, you know, our entire childhood. Mm-hmm. We're watching how they relate to intimate partnership, how they relate right. to boundaries, how they relate to emotions, and we're also absorbing how they relate to us. Mm-hmm. And then it is within the sort of crucible of intimate partnership that all that stuff gets awakened. So I may have done a really, really good job of shutting down my pain, my vulnerability, my core wounds, my triggers, my issues. But then the moment I fall in love with you, it all comes. There's no bypassing the vulnerability Mm -hmm. of intimate partnership. Yeah, it's almost like we feel, you know, in the situations we feel most comfortable, that's when our shadow comes out you know to mm-hmm. fruition and i really thank you for bringing up sort of family of origin if we could kind of touch on that a little bit more you know it's it's intriguing to me because some people you know such as myself there were things that happened in my childhood that i was like okay that's blatantly unhealthy screaming at someone you know shutting down yeah. like the, these different dynamics that as a child you're like okay these are sort of immediately unhealthy when i get in into adult space and I'm like I see these things coming out of me in romantic relationships right mm-hmm. I think the the harder part is when folks might have had from the outside it looks like a very sort of healthy or put together childhood and it's a little bit harder for them to see patterns of unhealthy behavior in their parents because maybe it was hidden from them you know and I I have uh, some close friends that you know have opened up to me about this where they're like you know it's harder for me to see the unhealthy patterns in my childhood although I feel like they come out in my personal relationships you know are there some some bits of insight you give your clients or people ask you these questions about how to look into, you know, their family, family, excuse me, family of origin and these behavioral behavior sort of behaviors we sponge up as children um, that aren't so like in our face or so evident, like screaming or yelling or avoiding or manipulation or things like that. (laughs) I love this question. I don't even know that I've ever been asked that question before. It's really, it's, it's a really, um, sharp question and it comes up a lot you know I teach this this college class and so you know many of my students come from families where their parents were married to each other and um you know and we're like relatively happy and nothing and they're still struggling and that can feel extra confusing but I guess the first thing I want to say and I'm curious how you respond to this is it you know well okay so two things right up top one is unpacking what we learned in our family of origin is is not about blaming our parents for our problems (laughs) 
That's because that's just as disempowering as blaming our partner for our problems or blaming our boss for our problems, right? So everything happens in the context of a relationship. So if we are going to look at what we experience in our family of origin, it is not in order to blame our parents or to cut that relationship off. Um, in fact, there's tremendous growth that I think can happen as we heal ourselves. We can turn back to our parents with a different kind of compassion, a different kind of boundary that can actually open up new layers of possibility for connection. So I want to say that up top because sometimes it can be frightening. People can be frightened to look at their family of origin stuff because it can feel really disloyal. I think especially I hear this with my students who are the kids of immigrants, where it just feels like, my God, my parents have done so much for me. How dare I? Who am yeah. I to say anything given the sacrifice and the da-da? So it's not at all about we can hold profound love, profound gratitude, and say, I have to call this pattern what it was so that I can do it differently. And that doesn't say anything about love. It doesn't say anything about gratitude. So that's one thing. And I want to share one more piece, and then I really want to hear from <laughs> hear back from you. The other thing is, even if we feel like our parents offered us just this beautiful, fluffy nest that we grew up with, and we're relatively securely attached we can still face challenges because because to love in this current zeitgeist in this current moment is not to love is is different than loving when our parents got married right so our love story by definition is going to be different because we are whatever falling in love getting married moving in with somebody in 2021 not in 1987 or 1977, right? Those were different contexts. What we want from a relationship has continued to evolve. So we may look at our parents and certainly at our grandparents and see that they were very much like role to role. Their definition of a good marriage was, you know, a, a, a solid domestic wife and a solid provider husband. And I use those mm-hmm. terms explicitly because, you know, because heterosexual norms have kind of ruled the day and we are luckily mm-hmm. transforming um, and evolving and creating all different kinds of visions for partnership. But it means that that even if we wanted to, many of us can't anchor into what our parents had because our context is so radically different now. Mm-hmm. So that comparison, that looking at our lineage is really important and has to be held with the 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 fact that none of us can be understood without none of us can be understood outside of our context right so we have to contextualize mm-hmm. our parents in their own set of what do they define as a good enough partnership and we might define it differently yeah no i really appreciate you bringing up sort of culture and society because they play roles in our loving relationships as they should because we're we you know we're molded sort of to a degree by them and you know we mm-hmm. respond to them and so a lot of folks will see you know if their parents had a really healthy relationship for instance in uh, based on their standards, they'll be like, well, I want a relationship just like my parents in the 70s or the 60s or, or the 40s, right? And um, that's really not applicable, although there are pieces, of course, like, you know, if there was sure. respect and, and trust and all these things, you know, and, and, and a healthy parenting pattern, that, that's awesome, right? But at the same time, our sort of the societal pressures that we have on us and even when we just look at like swipe culture and social media and all these different ways we interact with communication, with, you know, technology, we live in a different time. So judging our, our relationships and basing them off of 
you know, previous generations, it's just really not super valid. And I think it's also, it, it kind of allows us to avoid some of the, the more nuanced intricacies of the times, meaning, you know, we don't have to be responsible for how we behave on social media because it's just a facade. It just, it's not really us, you know? Um, and yeah, I, I think I, I really, I really resonate with that because, you know, I, I grew up with this, with this polar, these polar opposites in my family. My grandparents uh, were married 58 years before my grandfather passed away. I was raised by a single mother, but she's been solo her entire life, basically. Okay. Um, and so it was, it's interesting for me because when I look at those two relationships, they're like almost the polar opposite, you know? Um, and, and then when I look at myself in, in, uh, you know, in real time, like right now, um, you know, there's healthy pieces of, what I viewed as a child, but then unhealthy pieces, you know, in both a person that was completely alone and then uh, the, the relationship that lasted for 58 years, you know? Um, and I find it really interesting when people equate time or length of a relationship with overall health of a relationship, <laughs> right? Uh, and <laughs> you're laughing because it's like, it, it's, it sounds funny, but people usually are like, wow, well, they were, they were married for 60 years. I mean, it must've been incredible, right? And I'm like, people can be married for 60 years and, and have a pretty miserable time, right? And, mm-hmm. and it's, um, I think, you know, part of the reason why I started this show and having these conversations is hopefully to invoke a sense of, um, willingness to to again build self-awareness to have healthier relationships with ourselves and with another now it's really just based on my own experience of looking at my own trauma and how that proliferated my loving relationships and how uh, I you know treated people I cared about and and the mistakes I made and and looking at those as a man and being like yeah those are unhealthy patterns like Mm -hmm. I think I probably need to do something you know, I think I need to change my behavior. And the first step to changing a behavior is to be aware that you have an unhealthy pattern and then focus on the steps to change the pattern. So I guess in building relational self-awareness, a lot of the, one of the big questions that people always ask is how do I find someone that is also, you know, interested in practicing relational self-awareness? Cause I, I just made a post this morning about oftentimes we look unconsciously for these things like, oh, this person's really sexy or they have a really nice voice or they smell a certain way or, or they're really, you know, they're really athletic or really fit or, you know, they have, they've started their own business. And there are these like sort of implicit or explicit yeah. biases that are flying through our head, even though we'll post about, oh, I want a deep partner. I want a deep relationship, a conscious partnership. We use all these keywords, but we're still sort of, you know, unconscious or conscious slaves to like these predisposed biases in our head of what we're attracted to. And then we wonder why we keep finding, you know, shallow partnerships or we keep getting an avoidant versus anxious, you know, attachment dynamics. And so I wonder if you could speak on, you know, what are some of the things that, so again, this comes back to building self-awareness in ourselves, but what are some of the things we can work on so that we also attract, um, and are honest with uh, the, the people in front of us that we can build healthy relationships. Right, right. That's been, I mean, I think it's been the question I've gotten the most in recent years is like, okay, I'm on board. Like I have read your books. I've taken your e-course. I've done my therapy. I listened to podcasts, right? Like I'm on board, but I want to find a partner who is on board. And I, like, I sometimes want to take this in a gender direction. And I'm really excited to speak with you about this as a man. Sure. Um I do think that, you know, when I look at my like Instagram following, for example, it varies a bit. And I'm curious what yours is. But, uh, you know, it's mine is 90 percent women. Female. Right. 
Yep. That's a consensus for all people in this space. Uh, Cause you know, I used to work with Vienna and Connor um, as, as they're like strategists and I did a lot of content production. And part of that was looking at data and even looking at Mark's profile to everyone that's sort of in this space, right? Uh, it's around 75% or more women and the opposite yeah. of, of men. So I think that there is, you know, and when I was growing up on my mom's side of the, you know, her bed with my stepdad, you know, her nightstand was stacked sky high with Wayne Dyer books and Harriet mm-hmm. Lerner books. You know, she was reading all the self-help that was available in the, you know, uh, 80s. And um, and my stepdad, you know, did not <laughs> did not have any of those books on his side of the bed, right? So there's, so I, it's not new, right? I mean, when we think about sort of like the first rounds of, you know, daytime talk shows, Phil Donahue and Oprah, their viewership, I'm sure, skewed female as well. So it's, and self-help books are mostly bought by women. So I think there, but there's something about, I think, this cultural moment where there is just like the self-help movement isn't new, but there's like this explosion with digital technology. And I'm a digital immigrant, right? Like I launched my career where if I wanted to do media work, I had to, you know, be on a TV show or quoted in the newspaper. I wasn't like creating and posting my own content. There just wasn't a way to do that when I launched my career. So there's this explosion of people talking about relational health and Mm. self-help and wellness um, and so I think that it, my, my hunch is whatever difference there was between women and men around kind of like levels of awareness, interests in consciousness, um, depth of conversation and dialogue and capacity to kind of go deep, whatever discrepancy there was kind of 20 or 30 years ago has, has grown, um, And I I worry, I think a lot about how can my content reach more men? I mean, I think there's a world of different, and not that everybody is, not that everybody's in a male-female partnership, but I certainly, when I get these questions, it is almost always from women who are saying, I can't find a man who wants consciousness with me. So I think it's, I think it's incumbent on us to figure out how do we keep reaching for men, including men. Um, And I think it also is incumbent on women who want to date men to hold on to a difference between I don't have as much language as you, but I'm willing to catch up versus I hold introspection in contempt. Mm -hmm. I think those are really different things. But what do you, what, what do you do with this? This, uh, yeah, so my following is a little bit, yeah, my following is a little bit different. I think I'm sort of uh, uh, an outlier in this space because I my account was started as a pro athlete. So 55% of my followers are men still. Um, and I just, you know, I've always been posting about, I mean, my first post was uh, sharing a Don Miguel Ruiz quote in 2014 on Instagram, you know, about <laughs> through the mastery of love. And um, I had, you know, maybe 400 followers and hadn't turned pro as a runner yet. And, uh, cause people, you know, I got a couple like critical remarks, uh, a year ago when I started posting more memes, like what happened to the running photos and the mountains and the dogs, you know? And I'm like, I'm still that person, but I've always been this person, you know? Um, and I think it's interesting cause my, you know, I, I feel more men engage with me because like of who I was or who I was portrayed as. And, and so now like people that have followed me a long time will reach out and be like, Hey, you know, I'm struggling with this. Like I really resonate with this post, something I've been feeling for a long time. I think it's twofold. Like, I don't know if a lot of men have been provided the space Mm 
That's right. To be open, to be gr- right. to grow and be vulnerable because I think, uh, I'm generalizing, but a lot of women say they want a man like that, but then, you know, a man cries in front of them or opens up yep. and they immediately shut down because they're like, where is my stoic, you know, little less stoic uh, uh, man? Like, you know, where is my tough provider? Because we have these, even though we want the opposite, we have these sort of implicit things from society we've been raised with. A man should be this way. And until we can let go of our predisposed cognition of what a strong man is, is, we, we certainly probably won't be able to accept someone that's that's attempting to change, right? Yep. And then on the other end, you know, men need to want to change. Like, no one's going to change you unless you want to change. That's a, a stark reality I've had to learn in my intimate relationships. And it's interesting you say that, like, mostly you have women reaching out to you saying that they, they can't find a man because I feel the exact opposite. You know, um, I was in a, a relationship with a very deep um, woman who I, who I love deeply, uh, who split up in May 2020. And I was the always the person reading the self-help books, being like, hey, you should read this. I was like, let's go to couples therapy. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. You know, and and um, this hasn't always been me. Like I've developed in this human being through having conversations with people like yourself, through reading books, you know, um, going to therapy. I think my first therapy session was when I was 23. I took myself after a breakup because I was like, I definitely have some shit I need to work on and I need some resources and some help. You know, I can't do this alone because there there's blind spots I just can't see within myself, you know. But I think you have to start from a point of self-realization um, before you seek those resources because a lot of times it's, you know, either reading someone else's anecdotal experience like, oh, this this guy has been through a couple of different breakups and he's looking at himself instead of blaming these women he was with mm-hmm. or, you know, he's experienced anger and, you know, done these things, but he's seeing like the the unhealthy pattern in you know that resentment or that anger so i think i think you're right like there is a a cultural shift going on i will say with social media and all these things i hope more men are engaging i I feel Mm -hmm. that that is the case you know Mm -hmm. um but in order for it to happen i think there has to be an invitation uh of a calling in instead of a calling out i had a right i had betty hart who has a has a ted talk on the show um, about her relationship with her father that was estranged for, for 10 years and she's a brilliant TED talk. And, uh, she, we talked about cancel culture and a lot of times, you know, uh, especially people that have made mistakes such as myself being a man, uh, is there room for, um, sort of reconciliation, you know, uh, is there, is there an invitation to come in and, you know, grow and, and, and also be acceptance of the, accepting of that growth. Cause you know, I, I was, I had a very healthy male role model, my grandfather, but I was also like getting into fights when I was younger, you know, not that that part of uh, being a man or being a, a defender is not, I think innately masculine. I do think it is, but I think what, how we channel that aggression in, in how we navigate life, you know, it, it's, it's changed for me over life. And that's really just been a result of me being conscious of when I'm feeling, you know, that come up. And, you know, I would hope that that things are changing. And I, I totally understand the sentiment that the women that are going to you are asking, because I think that is the norm. Like there's probably way more women. There is way more women or are way more, way more women, women doing this work than than men. Um, but I think that that's not for lack of like capacity, but merely right. for maybe lack of opportunity, because as you brought up, I think our culture is really sort of focused on women in that way as opposed to human beings yep. as a whole, you know? Yep. Yep. Um, and so I would hope that over the next three, five, 10 years that more men follow accounts like yours. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, you know, I think 
Mark talks about this in his podcast a lot. And most people say until you hit rock bottom, you probably don't have the willingness to change, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I find that the men that are really seeking out this information are the ones that have felt pain to the depths of their soul and caused pain. And finally taking a step back and be like, wait a minute, I need to stop this. I need to figure out what's going on inside of me, Mm -hmm. you know? And, And I think, I think you can get to it before that point, but unfortunately most of us, um, we have to really sort of touch the fire before we realize we're burning, you know? And, um, I wish we could use the foresight to say like, Hey, I should, you know, probably work on myself and my emotional health and resiliency before I find love. But often we don't know what we need to work on until we, you know, until as you brought up, it bubbles up in our intimate relationships. Well, it's, it's everything you're saying makes so much sense to me. And I think there's, there are ways in which we, socialize boys and men this way and then punish them for having been socialized this way, right? So we teach them from, a, I mean, by the age of three, we are touching and holding our little boys less than we're touching and holding our little girls. And then we wonder why they have limited capacity for sitting with their own vulnerability. And we, we tell them not to cry and then we punish them for not being able to, you know, access tender feelings and for just being angry or for, you know, numbing out or for drinking or for being, you know, irritable, all of this stuff that, that you can see if you trace it back, you can understand where the roots of it were. And that even that what you're saying about kind of having to hit rock bottom, of course, it makes sense that one has to hit rock bottom if one has been taught to take all the little bitty bricks upside the head and ignore them and keep going and power through and man up and, you know, one foot in front of the other, then of course you need the entire brick wall. Of course you do. Mm -hmm. It makes total sense. And it's so sad and it's so heartbreaking. And there oftentimes is a a long list of collateral damage, not just like self-destructive collateral damage, but relationally destructive collateral damage to get to that point. So I love this vision that you're painting that we can evolve so that we raise our boys to really be able to sit with their own emotions and develop that capacity. Because if we can't sit with our own emotions, we sure as shit can't with somebody, sit with somebody else's emotions. And I think that what you... This part you're bringing up about women, I think is so, so, so important. I think we ought to like tease it apart a bit more because I think that in social media, there's a lot of um, energy and traction around these posts that are about like early red flags and getting out of there and da-da-da that are basically like, I think there's a layer that is an invitation to help women find voice and find boundaries, but there's a way in which I feel like we're creating like 180 degrees is not the answer, right? Mm -hmm. So the opposite of silent doormat is not the first second I see anything that I can code as thoughtlessness or um, lack of respect. I'm going to, I'm going to name it and I'm going to call it out and I'm going to get the hell out of here. So I think there's a way, and I think this is, you know, it's part of trauma, right? The nature of trauma is I don't know how to gradiate. I don't mm-hmm. know how to how to say, is this a hundred? Is this an eighty? Is this a twenty? Is it a five? Because anything that feels anything like disrespect, um, a power maneuver, da da da, it feels like a hundred. And all I know how to do is turn and run. So I think there's yep. I think there's a lot going on in that. But I worry that there are ways in which social media perpetuates this. Like, yep. if you see one little shred of it, call it out and go rather mm-hmm. than a sense of refining a sense of like um 
my friend Terry Real talks about the difference between personal and personal empowerment is hell no, you will not do that to me. Relational empowerment is hang on, slow down, back it up. When you say yeah. it like that, here's how I feel. Is that how you meant it? Might you say it differently? Mm. You know, making it a process, right? That's relational empowerment. And I, I right. that's where we got to get. Yes. But what's happening right now is painful. Mm-hmm. And the last thing we need are a generation of men who are terrified because because mm-hmm. terrified men, you know, that's a whole thing unto itself, right? Men who feel terrified, men who are afraid of being humiliated or shamed. That's mm-hmm. a pretty gnarly energy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I think that this is really, this convert, this part of the conversation I think is just yes. essential. Yeah, let's, let's talk about it. So it, it's so interesting to hear you say that about like the, um, it sounds to me like it's just inner trauma coming up, you know, even, even being steeped in your power in that way, it's not considering, it's not, there's no compassion or empathy in that sentiment because it's not considering, well, if this is a red flag, why might this person be behaving this way? Why might I be responding mm-hmm. this way? You know, there's, there's sort of a no space between the trigger and the reaction in that sense. You're just immediately like red flag, read this on so-and-so's profile, see ya, you know? Yep. And I think that's that's quite still immature and unevolved love. Um, I don't think I think that we should obviously respect ourselves. And if something you know really is is happening that we just aren't okay with, you know, can verbalize and be like, this is probably not for me. Totally okay. But I think if we're you know not allowing people to um, sort of with us build compatibility, this is something I'd love to get your take on because I feel like so many people are like, well, we just weren't compatible, you know, we just weren't compatible. <laughs> and I'm like, it's interesting because I, I think compatibility is built; it's not really found. Now, I think that you can you can definitely find some. A, f- a person, you know, uh, that is more aligned with your values, your beliefs, your trajectory, growth oriented, X, Y, and Z. Yep. But ultimately, as human beings, we are incredibly hard to be with. You know, we as adult <laughs> human beings, we have a ton of shit. You know, and you, you know, right? I mean, even even as someone who studied, uh, you know, behavior like like you have, I imagine that you know you are also hard to be with, just That's as right. I am. Right. I'll pull my husband and, in here and he'll tell you all the ways just, yeah, that I'm hard to be with. <laughs> exactly. But I think there's the beauty is in giving someone the space to be themselves, but also grow and meet you on a level that's like, oh, hey, I see these things that the way I'm hard to be with and and I can see how they affect you. And maybe I can, you know, or hopefully I can try to work on those things. And I think that's relational self-awareness. And when I see people immediately going on dates and they're like, well, this person said this and that and I'm out. Well, it's just like, you, you, you have two options. You could, you could avoid, or you could ask more questions, you know, mm-hmm. and if you still get any, get any answers that just don't sit well with you, it's totally fine to, you know, pull the plug and, and not, and realize it's not for you. But I do think that a lot of people that follow accounts that are sort of self-help or relational online are looking for echo chambers. Like they're only liking posts that validate their decisions and their feelings. Mm-hmm. They're not often looking for posts that make them think introspectively about maybe they made a mistake or maybe they played a role in this red flag being brought up. And I think that goes back again, everything back to self-awareness. You know, a lot of people, they just want to follow a psychologist that they're just, they only like certain posts like, Oh, that's totally me. The guy's a narcissist or he's, or I'm just severely codependent or, or, um, you know, all these things that sort of absolve us from responsibility. And they're just, we just put it on a shelf. I'm like, no, I'm good. You know, I'm doing the work here, but, all these things, and we don't realize how those things are part of us. And I and I, I want to reiterate how you said it's not about shaming ourselves, right, or shaming our family of origin, because I've I've gotten stuck in those patterns because I'm such a, a ruminating thinker. But it's really about being aware of 
like is is to the best of our abilities all these sort of minute intricacies um in uh, relationships that we play a role in you know e- even in mm-hmm. dating right i mean mm-hmm. it's it's so interesting when people like you know a lot of people they're like i want this really deep relationship but every person they're swiping with is just based on physical attraction you know obviously like the, the, there's a certain you know shallowness to swipe culture in of itself but i think that a lot of times we we are afraid to ask the deep questions when we're getting to know someone too right um mm-hmm. we really save this until after the honeymoon phase a year or two into the relationship and we're just like wait a minute this isn't this is not the person i signed up for right because we we were so enamored with the sort of sales pitch that we gave each other in the initial stages like what are the first things you tell each other when you meet each other like i'm so awesome you know i've written these books i've kissed these babies you know i've saved these these humans lives and not that those things are not great those are phenomenal right? part of us right but certainly like when have you made a mistake when have you been hurt when have you caused pain you know th- those are the things i want to know because if someone can say that to me in a way that's doesn't destroy them themselves, doesn't like destroy their sense of self. That to me is self-awareness. Yep. 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 Listen, I have empathy to the bottom of the ocean for people who are dating right now. I don't, Mm -hmm. you know, I've been married for 23 years. So this is, I am a, I am an ally. I am a cheerleader. I am like super curious and wanting to be helpful, but I don't know it from the inside out what it's like to sit down on a first date in this day and age, right? When there's so much, you know, we, you've referenced swipe, swipe culture a couple of times. And I think we're just at the precipice of understanding what that does to our brains and to Mm -hmm. our souls, not just to commodify others, but to know that we've also been commodified, right? Because if I'm swiping on you based on how you look, some little bitty part of my brain also knows that you're doing the very same to me. And that just has got to feel really, really challenging. And in the pushback, the subversiveness is what you are inviting us towards, which is to sit down with somebody human to human and just be present to a kind of unfolding experience, rather than, you know, like I sometimes I will like turn down media stories when someone's like, I'm writing an article about the best seven questions to ask on a first date. Like, I don't want to do that article because I don't because I don't want to participate in this energy, which is that a first date is an interview or a performance or a screening Mm -hmm. process. I want a first date to feel to somebody like an experience, right? Like that you're just kind of showing up for an experience. And I know that is easier said than done, Mm -hmm. but I at least want to offer people tools to kind of subvert this like idea that the goal of dating is to find somebody who checks all the boxes. Because, because what I know is that you can have, there's, there's, there's an endless number of boxes and who Mm -hmm. the hell wants to be put in a box? I don't want to be put in a box. So, Mm -hmm. so I want, uh, but, but beyond the space of checking boxes is really freaking vulnerable. Right. Because it means we've got to slow down. It means we might not be able to, you know, do lots and lots of first dates. We might have to go slowly. We might choose quality over quantity. We might have to like downshift our pace. And I think that can feel scary, probably even more so after having survived many, many months where we couldn't date because of a global pandemic. So I know that people are doing the best they can do, but I also know there's a lot of, um, money to be made right now (laughs) selling ideas about the right way and the wrong way to Mm -hmm. date. And I, I think that it's all the things that you're reminding us to go back towards, which are just kind of a bit more paradoxical, a bit more ethereal, a bit more mysterious, um, and that require a different kind of presence than 
swiping, 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 asking these five questions, ruling you in or ruling you out, you know, all of that kind of stuff, which is just so kind of mechanical. It is. I I appreciate you bringing that. There's been so many times in my past relationship that I was uh, consistently asking this person to be someone they were not. And I think that that was like part of the list that I had in my head. Like I want these things. And it brought up the idea in my mind on acceptance of a human being and ourselves uh, versus growth. And these are like the tension of the opposites, right? Yeah. And I think um, we're, we're told a lot of times that you know, we need to accept people for all they are and accept ourselves for all we are. And then we also need to you know, find someone that wants to grow and work on their shit, right? And those are, are two different ideas. And so mm-hmm. if we could talk about these things, right, because... It's been hard for me to walk that tight tightrope because there are many times in my uh, past relationship where I, I realized I was not being accepting. You know, I was not listening. I was shutting down. I was uh, not accepting what, what this person was experiencing because I was so focused on myself and my own experience and my own pain that I wasn't uh, being relationally self-aware. And then also I was very focused on growth, right? And, and I like wanted uh, to be in a partnership that, that wasn't, that wasn't only focused on like, you know, building uh, monetary wealth and like, but, but building like a stability and building, um, you know, uh, intimacy uh, over time. And, uh, you know, also um, just being able to grow as an individual, just as much as the relationship is growing as mm-hmm. itself. Right. And so can we talk a little bit about the, those two tension opposites? Like, where where do where should we be falling you know i guess where's the healthy spectrum between accepting of others where they're at and also like you know wanting to progress wanting to grow i think that's a huge it's a really really huge question that probably has lots of answers right there is mm-hmm. something about um acceptance is I mean, there's, there's gotta be like a, I think the first thing to say about acceptance is there has to be like a floor, right? None of us, none of us need to like, you know, relationships are, thank goodness, free will, at least in this context that you and I are talking about them. So we don't need to accept things that really, really just don't work for us. There's no obligation, um, to accept things that just don't work. Like it's okay to have, you know, deal breakers and non-negotiables, but for every deal breaker non-negotiable, I want people to be really thoughtful about the story of why. Like, why is that? Like, why isn't that okay for you? And not not that there's like acceptable stories, not acceptable stories, but just the process of like fleshing out why wouldn't I? Why why am I not available? Why can't I accept that about somebody? Why can't I accept that behavior? Why can't I accept that um, identity variable, whatever it is? Just getting clear on that, I think, is illuminating. That's relational self-awareness rather than just being like, I could never date somebody who X. Okay, but why? Like, just flesh out that story because you'll learn something about yourself in that process. And then I do think, right, the place for growth, so that's like sort of the first thing, but the place for growth is, right, growth is about like, I need to learn you and you need to learn me. So maybe... I was just talking to somebody about this idea of like when she went to bed with a new partner for the first time, she wasn't like she, he asked her what she wanted and she was like, just show me what you do. You know, as if it's sort of like he comes in with sort of a fixed like capital S sexuality where he does these Mm -hmm. things to his partner, with his partner, and then she would see whether she likes it or not Mm -hmm. versus 
sex as a co-created experience, much like every, like much like every relationship has got to be. So that that space for growth that you are reminding us of is a space for we have to grow by learning each other, because who I was sexually last week is not who I am sexually today. So any sexual experience is is bounded by like however I'm going to show up today. Any conflict we might have is bounded by how I might show up today. So yeah, the space for growth is essential um, because we have to learn each other and that's going to take time. And I'm going to have to see like, when I ask you to do this differently, how do you respond? Can you sift through, okay, I can do that differently because I know that you need it, but here's where I can't do it differently because if I do it differently to accommodate you, I'm going to be resentful as hell and that's not going to work for either one of us. Hmm. Those are some think, initial thoughts, but tell me where, tell me where you go with any of that. No, I really, I really enjoy those. I, um, I think that it's a hard thing for me to, to elaborate on, but I will try because it, it de- depends on what someone's looking for. Right. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of Alain de Botton and, and he seems to think, and I, and I sort of agree with him that we should not require someone to accept us for all we are, because we have bits of ourselves that are just pretty brutal. You know, like we, we we're, again, we're going back to we're hard to be with that. Again, that's not a shame based thing. It's just like being yep. honest, being self-aware of our shadow, right? Like, Hey, you know what? I get real triggered and pissed off when you do that. Like what we shouldn't require someone to accept that all the time. You know, we should be consciously aware of that and hopefully working on smoothing those edges out. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that like when people say acceptance, like accept me for, if you don't, you don't love me if you don't accept me for who I am. Right. And I find it really hard to come to terms with that sentiment because I think like actual love is that I am aware of who you are. I can be with you and sit with your shadow as you sit with mine, but certainly love is evolving, you know, and that we can hopefully communicate to each other these kind of paths in ourselves that are probably less than desirable and less than acceptable. Right. Mm -hmm. And we can hopefully work, work through that. I think, I think it makes for a very monotonous relationship to just say, Oh, we accept each other for who they are. And then it's just, you know, streamline. No, I agree. Um, Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, just, I agree. Like I'm thinking about my, you know, I am prone to flooding when, Mm -hmm. when, when things are intense between Todd and I, I will flood and I will shut down and Mm -hmm. I will go into my closet for a little while, (laughs) like literally like going (laughs) to my closet and close the door for a little while. But I can't, I'm not going to, I can't plant my flag and be like, you should accept me for who I am. I I need to reduce the amount of time it takes me to get my ass off the floor of the closet, like wipe my tears and go back and reconnect with him. Like that's my ongoing work. He should not accept me. He should accept that I, that it it can, I may need to go back and forth a bit. I may need to step away and come back, but he shouldn't accept that that's, I don't want him to accept that it is okay for me to shut down, step away, go in the closet and then the conversation is over, right? right? That's not, and it's also not, it's not a capital T truth about who I am as Alexandra. It is true. That's my survival strategy. It is true that where I, that's where I go when I feel flooded and overwhelmed and shamey and all the stuff, but it's not, it's not a capital T. So we, I think it's also, we also have to get clear on what's like essential truth about self versus patterns and tendencies. But I want to, I want to continue even this long into this marriage to refine parts of me because they're not right that's not my best self my best self is mm-hmm. not on the floor of my closet <laughs> yep. so i can visit that place but i i don't want him to make excuses for that or accommodate mm-hmm. that like i want to keep growing in that way and yeah i think part of a really healthy love is is being given the grace to 
make mistakes and grow mm-hmm. with the caveat of at some point, you know, like trying is, is not good enough. Like we have to start doing. I think a lot of people fall into relationships where, you know, over years, you know, they, they continuously sort of this person is, I'm trying, I, I realize these things, I'm trying to meet you here, but nothing really changes. You know, and I think that's that exact space is where resentment builds. And resentment, I think, is is the green-eyed monster to love, right? Um, you know, like Shakespeare talks about jealousy, but I really <laughs> think it's resentment. I think most things, uh, um, you know, cascade to like this crescendo of ending because of resentment that builds up over sure. time. And often we can start communicating our problems, you know, in the first year or two. But if someone really like, even if they're listening, but not hearing, like actions aren't changing, that's when resentment continue to mm-hmm. continues to compound. And I think that's where like boundaries truly sort of play a role because um, speaking from my own experience, I've never had the internal strength to walk away from a relationship. Um, even when I'm sort of uh, have been asking for, for years of like, hey, I really you know need you to meet me here. Um, in this space, uh, you know, because I think that there's always been like that belief in love, mm-hmm. belief in the partnership. Like, I love this person, therefore, eventually they will be able to, you know, meet me here. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, just like with anything in life, there's no guarantees. So I think, like, you know, from your perspective, um, it's impossible to put a timeline on this for people. But is there is there a gauge that we can, you know? Because I think when you, when we think about even about codependency a lot, a lot of times like we can use love as an excuse to stay in a dynamic that uh, is is refusing to grow, is refusing because you're you're practicing enough self awareness to know you're going in the closet and you're you're you know avidly consciously trying to change that and you, and that's a gift you're giving to your partner as I'm sure it mm-hmm. gives to you and that's mm-hmm. that's a wonderful thing that's that's what I think a lot of us are looking for, but I think a lot of us get in relationships with, with good people with good intentions that perhaps don't have the courage or the capacity yet to really see themselves in those situations and be like, wait a minute, I am shutting down. I am, you know, avoiding, I, I am like overreaching my, my anxiety sort of peaking mm-hmm. and, and perhaps it's on me to yes. change these things to be a better partner. Right. But, but th- there's a, there's, it's hard to like discern and to tell people, give advice in that sense. Cause there's a timeline that mm-hmm. these things take place and it really depends on someone's resilience. Like how long are you willing to wait? How long are you willing to accept? And how how long can you keep a resentment at bay? Because even people that stay for 10 years and all of a sudden they, they blow up and there's infidelity or something or something mm-hmm. like this. A lot of times it's resentment and uncommunicated needs for years that builds up, right? Or or the lack of sexual intimacy or the loss of interest, the loss of desire, right? Yeah. Um, I think these things all sort of run down to communication. But again, communication doesn't just take someone talking. It takes someone listening and 100%. hearing. 100%. And owning, right, and owning their part of the dance. Because, right, the, the the quickest road to resentment is me going in the closet and then saying to Todd later, I wouldn't have gone in the closet if you hadn't said that thing in that way. That's the fastest road to resentment, right? Mm-hmm. When I when I can say, I'm sorry I did that, then it goes into what Todd affectionately calls the alley tax, right? I'm Alexandra, but at home I'm alley. The alley, the part of loving me is you get, there's wonderful things that come with loving me, but then there's the alley tax and the alley tax is things like, you know, there are sometimes parking tickets that happen because sometimes I don't read the sign and sometimes I go sit in the closet for a hot minute. That's part of the alley tax because when I, rather than being like, well, I only got the parking ticket because you hadn't da 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 No, when I say, I'm so sorry, I did it again, you know, that's, I, I love you. I'm sorry. I'll pay it. Whatever. You know, that's, that's the, that's what helps us keep that relational space 
gentle. So I think mm. when you're asking, right, this is, a, I think it's a really important question. Like, how do you know what's the kind of expectable, expected kind of amount of accommodation versus going too far? I think resentment's a huge tracker. Resentment is, I love the green-eyed monster. It's a relational variable, right? The resentment lives inside of you, but it says something important to us. And the big, the place where the rubber hits the road is, can we talk about that? Can we turn your feeling of resentment into a conversation where I can sit with like, okay, but what if I did this differently? And what if you did this differently versus nope, that's on you. Your feelings are your feelings. That's, that is, that's what erodes connection. Mm. And I think when we're in pain, the last thing I'll say about it is when we're in pain, we get myopic and we only see this problem that we're having right now. So I think the best way to track change is to look at trend lines, like to look across time. So we just had another go round that feels familiar, but what was different about it this time versus six months ago? So I think that's how we, and if we can sort of see like, oh my gosh, we were only down for the count for eight hours this time instead of three days this time. That's amazing. Look at us. That's, I mean, I feel like I spend half of my time when I'm working with couples pointing out what went differently because we, you can't see it when you're in it. So it is very helpful to have a couples therapist who can be like, you guys, I know this sucked. I know it was painful, but here's what was different than last time you went through it. You didn't cross these lines. It didn't take as long to recover. I saw a ton of ownership that I haven't seen before. So that's, I think those are the things that you look for is how is it different now than it was before? And that can kind of keep keep some fuel in the tank, right? Like that can help us feel hopeful that there's some growth that's happening. Oh, wonderful. I, I want to ask so many questions. Uh, you know, you're, you're so thoughtful and, um, you know, we we're at time. So I, I want to be conscious of your time today. But uh, Dr. Solomon, thank you so much for just joining us and sharing the bits of your wisdom and your background. And I want to give you the opportunity. When does this podcast launch? You know, what can people expect from it? I want people to go listen. I, I'm certainly going to be a listener and subscriber. So can you talk about reimagining love, reimagining love for a second here? I would love to. And I just will say I could talk to you for the rest of the day. You're a pleasure to talk to. I'm so glad that our paths have crossed. And I hope this is like the first of many conversations that we're going to get to have. So this is a, so too. a real treat. So thank you, first of all, for having me on. I appreciate your your heart and your wisdom. And it's great. Just a great conversation. Um, yeah, so Reimagining Love is my my new baby, my new project, and the trailer is actually um, coming out. So for you and I today, it's October 4th. The trailer comes out tomorrow, October 5th. So we'll be doing a lot of like blasting about that. And then the first episode comes out October 26th, and it's going to be a weekly show that's going to have um, a blend. So all the episodes kind of fit together. They're all designed to expand relational self-awareness. So each month you'll get a solo episode, you'll get some wonderful guest experts conversations, which is when a guest expert and I are in conversation about a listener question. So there's a place on my website to submit your listener question, and then I will pair up with somebody super smart and we'll break it all down. And then each month is going to end with a bonus episode where it's an exploration of a real relationship um, to kind of see relational self-awareness in action. So I'm really excited about the format and the design. It's been so fun to work with my my team. Um, and it's, I mean, you've been at this game for a while, but the whole podcasting is just a fascinating world. Tons of opportunity for creativity. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes and how it grows with, um, with listener feedback. 
phenomenal. I'll, I'll throw a link to that and it's going to be available. I'm guessing on all places you can download podcasts. So Apple, Spotify, the whole, the whole gamut. And, uh, I'll also throw a link to your, your two books that are been available for sale. And then your Ted talk, people should definitely go check all those resources out. Um, I just ordered loving bravely. So excited to get it and to dive into it and read it. And, um, thank you so much, Dr. Solomon for joining me. It's been wonderful to get to know you and, and to share time with you. Likewise. Thank you so much. everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul. Really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I launched a donor box campaign a couple weeks ago. It's a way of monetizing the podcast. I put tons of hours and tons of work into producing the podcast, scheduling guests, recording content for you all out there. So if you have the means and you can give back, please consider making a monthly donation subscription in our donor box campaign. Really appreciate that. And it helps us keep doing what we're doing and getting these amazing episodes and interviews out to you out there.